now tentatively set to be released on June 29th. I got to read it and I loved it a lot. I reached him today at his home in Cape Breton. This interview was originally recorded on April 28th, 2020. Would you like to introduce yourself for listeners? Sure. Um, my name is Morgan Murray. I live in Cape Breton, uh, Nova Scotia. I'm originally from Alberta. Um, grew up on a beef farm in rural Alberta. And my first book, Dirty Birds, is coming out at some point amidst this pandemic um, when we can find some paper to print it on. Yeah, so I was going to start by asking what Cape Breton is like in the times of quarantine, but I want to instead, what have you heard about this paper shortage? Because this is completely new to me. I, I don't know if it's a paper shortage. I don't want people to run out and buy more toilet paper. <laughs> Uh, it's just different printers. Some printers, I guess, are uh, had to shut down because of, of the COVID. Uh, some paper supply, the international paper supply, a lot of it comes from China, apparently. And that's all disrupted and stuff. So there's a lot of books that are um, delayed and things. And so um, I guess we're in the search for paper. If anybody's got a lot of paper they want to send out to Newfoundland to print my book on. Um, that'd be great. But yeah, so I don't know when exactly uh, that'll be solved, but uh, I'm told they're working on it. But I don't know all the details, just that uh, it's it's all, every, like everything else, it's all messed up. Yeah, it's interesting is it's a new piece of the puzzle of things made confusing by these circumstances. A comic book artist I was talking to was talking about how some things he was working towards were being delayed, but it was for publicity reasons around if you can't have book launches, do you postpone? So it was sort of the staggered effect of trying to anticipate what the next few months will look like, and in some cases sort of yeah. preemptively responding. Yeah, and, and like a few weeks ago, everything seemed to be on track, and now... And for the last, however long this has been going on for, a couple months, we've been trying to get our heads wrapped around, how do you launch a book in the middle of a pandemic? And I'm not a book publicist or anything, but I thought it could be pretty good because people have a lot more time on their hands. So maybe if you can reach them somehow, then they would be interested in getting your book. But also, you know, there's no paper anymore <laughs> and stuff like this. So it's a, it's a strange, strange time, especially to... You know, this is my first book, so this is my first real experience with a lot of this. And I've had a lot of friends, and my wife is a uh, illustrator and author too, so I know a bit more than the average Joe about the publishing world. But to be going through this firsthand as your first experience is, is it's a bit different. Yeah. So I guess you would have been working on this for a few years, I would guess. Yeah. It um, several years. Yeah. <laughs> it's. It's based a lot on um, I lived in Montreal around the time the book is set. Um, so it's set in sort of 2007, 2008, um, primarily in Montreal where the um, Milton, Ontario, the protagonist, that's a guy, not a place in this book. Um, he moves there to become a fam famous poet to meet his hero, Leonard Cohen. Um, and he has all sorts of uh, hijinks and mishaps. Um so I lived, I lived that life more or less, not quite exactly the same. Um, and then I started formulating it into a, some kind of book. Jeez, uh, I took a writing workshop with Lisa Moore in uh, Memorial University in St. John's, and I lived there five or six years ago. That's when I started writing some scenes, and then it's kind of been percolating ever since. And um, we, I wrote most of it uh, fall the first draft fall 2018 and then we've been kind of editing it ever since so um it was mostly done when the pandemic hit and it's uh just the last sort of uh finishing touches on the proof and stuff have been delayed because everybody's working from home and everything and now the paper stuff so um yeah that's where we are so what would the release have looked like like if um I imagine you were already kind of thinking that far ahead that you were starting to plan events that have since been indefinitely postponed. Yeah, and with this book, uh, it was due to come out last October, but we had some editorial delays and, and different things, so we pushed it to May because we thought, May, everything will be fine in May. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I was thinking about uh, what we could do. I'm in rural Cape Breton, so I'd have a, 
small event here and then um there's a number of literary festivals in atlantic canada i was looking forward to going to hopefully and then i've got family in alberta and vancouver and stuff and um we go out there a couple times a year so i thought i could do some events out there and kind of promote it because the, the book's also set in saskatchewan and newfoundland so i got the whole country covered more or less so there's everywhere i went i could i could do something so i was trying to figure out what all that could be as well as a lot of online stuff and things like that um so all that kind of got thrown out the window and then we're trying to figure out how do you launch a book in these conditions and now we're kind of back to the drawing board again mm-hmm. um i'm curious when the paper situation clears itself what your <laughs> uh now quarantined version of book launch looks like have you guys gotten that far into what the alternative is we've been working on it a little bit and one thing that's i've been watching kind of what other people are doing and there's a lot of uh people doing really interesting things and there's a lot of people just kind of doing like uh pointing a laptop up their nose and reading <laughs> <laughs> monotonously from a book which isn't very engaging but there's also been a lot of um my wife writes kids books and a lot of her friends are kids books authors and so we've been watching what they've been doing and they've been doing some really cool like online book clubs and stuff so there's things like that so i was thinking of like maybe i could read a page a day um through the pandemic and just do like short little facebook instagram videos things like that um there's a great series from the national National Arts Center. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, it's called Canada Performs, mm-hmm. um, where they're doing it with musicians and writers and playwrights and stuff. Where uh, they have a little bit of funding to support you to do a live streamed event. So I was, applied for that and uh, was hoping to get some of that um, to do a live stream kind of launch thing. Um, maybe do some silly videos since we've got time and. <laughs> nothing but time um because the book is uh you saw it electronically in real life it's it's thick like a brick so i was thinking of doing some funny little like ads like with this book you can use it to as a step stool or whatever um so uh yeah i don't know we'll still kind of mulling over what the best thing to do will be and uh now that the timeline's shifted again we'll See, because who knows, in a few months there might be uh, some small events possible, or who knows, but we'll see. I am kind of wondering, though, if you're onto something with it maybe being an ideal timeline. Like, I um, have been reading a bit about how, for example, streaming has gone down in terms of audio as a platform, but, Hmm. like, radio listening and podcasts have gone up. Podcasting is, like, booming um, because it's it, there, there's this captive audience, but yeah. not just a captive audience, but people who have the time to set aside intentional blocks of time as opposed to tucking you into the moment they're en route from point A to point B. And so one of the reasons I told you I don't get a lot of time to read, um, yes. but it's not a complete truth. It's I have ever since I was pregnant with my son 11 years ago, I've had an anxiety around the idea of being pulled out of a really good book back to reality and how jarring and, and unsettling that feeling is. And so yeah. I feel like uh, the reason that I was able to read your book was because I could set aside whole blocks of time and there were so little opportunities for the outside world to take them away from me yeah that makes sense because that was the thing is when the lockdown started um and like people i've talked to since have been like oh man launching a book in this uh, circumstances is is, that's too bad and and really sorry to hear that and i'm not sure if it is as bad as we think it is it could be i don't know um but people seem to have time to read or listen to podcasts and that kind of makes sense when you talk about how streaming you know a song is down but listening to an hour-long podcast is up because you've got hours of time not minutes of time now um but as a first-time author on a small press i'm not going to be doing a big national tour and have 
hundreds of people come to launch events. I would definitely benefit from going to festivals and stuff where I could meet new readers and stuff. And, and those are good for sort of recruiting dedicated readers who will read your next book too, if they like you. Um, but just finding novel ways to reach people, um, make them aware of you. And then your book is sort of on the same footing as everybody else's at this point where, you know, everybody's trying to figure it out. You know, Margaret Atwood is on zoom. We're looking up her nose, listening to her talk just like everybody else. And so it, it, there's sort of an interesting thing happening with that too. So I don't know. It could all just be make believe that I'm, uh, have my rose colored glasses on cause the book's supposed to come out, but, um, I, there might be something there. I'm not sure. I like that point though. The sort of evening of the playing field, like every person who had not yet booked a tour or didn't have any shows on the horizon was suddenly, you know, like just using musicians as sort of my realm of, of familiarity. But I was in the, I suddenly was the same as every musician, whether it was a canceled tour or a tour not yet booked, we were all suddenly mm -hmm. in the same kind of boat and it was weirdly calming. I guess in that scenario, I was brought up to the level playing field as opposed <laughs> yeah. to down to it. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe there is something for people who are, are starting out or, you know, on the early side of launching a career in the arts. It is maybe an opportunity to get into somebody's sort of sight lines that may have missed you. Yeah. And it's like all the options of things that you couldn't or wouldn't be able to do are off the table. Um, like mus for a musician that you're not going to be doing a sold out tour in Europe right now. Um, you're at home like everybody else. And so it's, you know, I just feel like there's an opportunity there to figure out a way to reach people and find a modicum of success in the circumstances we're in. Um, and maybe it, it won't be nearly as good as if it wasn't like this right now, but, um, maybe it's not all bad. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I am enjoying visualizing myself as though I would be in all of these places, but oh darn, yeah. it's out of my control. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, one thing I really liked about reading your book was, uh, as you mentioned, there's so many different places that it takes place in. And as a person who's been to Saskatchewan and Newfoundland and, uh, Montreal, it was very easy for me to visualize the kind of realities of the styles of, of those places. And so being stuck in my own home and being separated from any promise of travel to any place anytime soon, it was a really neat experience to be teleported um, in, in a book to those places while being in one place. I suppose that's what reading is like, and maybe I've just forgotten, but <laughs> I, I think like that was particular. <laughs> it, it felt like that had more meaning right now. D does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's extraordinary times if being teleported to Saskatchewan is a exciting <laughs> proposition. I think that's great. I'm curious why you picked Saskatchewan over Alberta when this is not, I know that it's not biographical or autobiographical, but it's inspired by real life. And is there a reason you picked yeah. one over the other? Saskatchewan is a much better butt of a joke, uh, just because it's so flat and so square. And um, just sort of reflected the character's personality a little bit better. Alberta is a very complicated place, as I'm sure you know. Um, both geographically, it's got the flat, but it's also got the mountains. Mm. Um, and also sort of uh, politically, economically, socially at the moment, it's also very uh, complicated. Where Saskatchewan is a little bit simpler. Um, it's gotten more complicated since they have sort of oil and gas situation too. But um, the, the town that Milton's from, uh, Belly Button, Saskatchewan, um, is a fictionalized version of the town where my mother's uh, parents are from. Um, and I've been there many times to visit my uh, great-grandmother when she was still alive as a little kid. So I kind of based it on that town. And, you know, my uh, 
lived experience through my parent, through my mom and, and uh, different friends and family from Saskatchewan. But just to sort of, it's this big square flat rectangle in the middle of this really complicated, not flat, not square uh, place. And I, I thought, it, I mentioned in the book too that it's sort of this really, you know, uh, strong symbol of colonialism where you take this place with this history and these people already there and you just erase it all and draw a square and say okay it's farms now um and then all the way up to you know present day in the book where you've got this square flat kid adult man child uh, trying to make his way as a poet in the world well you don't have to tell me which town in saskatchewan if it's better that i don't know but um the concept of a whole book being focused around a almost like non-person and by that i just mean somebody who hasn't gotten it yet you know it's it's like you're yeah. you're focused on a very specific period of time that uh, i think that was why i was surprised i liked the book so much in a weird way is because typically stories that take place around a man finding himself have been pretty insufferable like i've read so many <laughs> that are thought to be these like most important pieces of literature but i'm just so frustrated i've been frustrated by that age of most boys in my life too in real life and so um yes. but it reminded me a bit of like, i really love john irving and john irving okay, yeah. has a really great pattern of um a kind of non-character through which all of the eccentric things around them is what is so significant. Um, but what mm. I, I wanted to ask around this is I want to know how non you are in your memory. I like with this loose autobiography, I, I was trying to picture whether the Morgan Murray that I only kind of know a bit from Newfoundland uh, was, yeah. was this non sort of, pining poet want to be or if that was more of a character that made everything else possible oh geez um <laughs> there's so the uncomfortable parts are truer than they should be <laughs> and the, the the ridiculous parts are are less true than they ought to be i think um how's that for a non-answer about a non-character uh it was I so one of the things I wanted to get at because uh, you've, you've flummoxed me a little bit. It's a great question. So I came, I come to the sort of fiction um, meandering through my dalliances as a man-child poet in Montreal, um, but also sort of philosophy grad school in Newfoundland, and some more sort of heavy philosophical questions. And I get to this point of fiction where. I'm interested in these questions about sort of how do you find yourself in the world, but not in a, you know, uh, the ordinary traditional sense where, you know, uh, a deadbeat guy finds out he's awesome and lives happily ever after. But it, how do you do that now in um, sort of a world where, Milton Ontario is a straight white guy from a middle class upbringing. He's privileged enough to get to go to college and then privileged enough to get to blow off college and move to Montreal to become a poet. And, you know, the I think one character at one point says the biggest hardship in his life is that he didn't pack very well or something like that. Um, and so he's this extremely privileged character and he is a sort of a non-character because most, you know, straight white guys of his vintage are like that. And, you know, you said you've run across a lot of these kinds of guys where, you know, for thousands of years, these kinds of straight white guys have been running things into the ground um, without question and without consequence. And I wanted to, sort of dwell on this question of what does it mean now at this point in time where we're a hundred years after uh, women getting the right to vote, we're, you know, half a century after the civil rights movement, we're a couple decades after the height of the gay rights movement. 
um, the indigenous rights movement is sort of picking up steam. It was kind of the big story before the pandemic happened in Canada. Um, so all of these new uh, actors are getting uh, their voices voices heard more so than they had been previously. And it's still, you know, the same stupid white guys are ruining everything and they're still in power and, you know, still look who's the president and the prime minister. They're still these extremely spoiled brats. Um, but now the, that privilege is, is awarded not entirely without question. And so there's some of the sort of sacred cows and those things that, you know, gave meaning and purpose to these, you know, spoiled white rich brats. Um, there's some holes being poked in them a little bit and they're starting to leak a little bit and they still, you know, like I said, get all the privileges and opportunities. But how, if you're going to be the least bit self-aware, can you not be a jerk, not be a brat, um, if you're coming from my perspective? Because I'm not going to write, a, you know, there's a lot of really amazing uh, books and, and stories and essays and writing coming out and music and art of all kinds from all of these marginalized groups who haven't had that opportunity for a long time. Um, and I'm not in any of those groups, but how do I be, become a human being that can, you know, live in a world where there's room for everybody? So that's kind of the question that I was grappling with through this, not just writing of it, but through the living of it in as much as it was autobiographical. Um, and then how do you sort of compute that into you know, the world pre-pandemic, because it was written pre-pandemic, but how, what does it look like in, in you know, lived to, to not be that jerk, to not grow up to be the jerk? And like in the book, you probably noticed that most of the male characters are awful. Um, and that was on purpose, because there's a lot of awful masculinity around, and it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not prescribing 12 steps to live a good life as a man you know i'm not saying go make your bed and all that other jordan peterson nonsense i'm just sort of giving an account of one fictional dummy and one non-fictional dummy grappling with these questions and genuinely not wanting to grow up to be awful um and how do you do that so that's a long-winded question or answer to your <laughs> Well, I like it a lot. It um, had me wondering if any of the men weren't awful. And I can think of a few characters that yeah, I was endeared to a lot of the awfulness, though, because it was so um, believable that it still reminded me of people <laughs> who I know all of the good sides that go along with the sort of, uh, you know, extreme ridiculous element that would make a good book. <laughs> So yeah. I guess I was like reading layers into people even when they were, you know, most well, the, and they're not all all awful, but mm -hmm. um there's there's more of a the awful sides of them have a stronger sort of voice than the uh gentler side always does, I think. Okay, so a question if we put Morgan Murray back in Montreal or even later in Newfoundland um, I don't mm -hmm. know why I'm third person, but if we talk, if we put you back in either of those places, would there have been a point where you would have been so, um, kind of absorbed in this way of life that you wouldn't have been able to tell that? Like, did you have to get to a certain point of age or maturity or life satisfaction to be able to reflect and capture it in, in, in a way? Um, I think I always knew I was a baby <laughs> uh, for as long as I was a baby. And I'm still not convinced that I'm not. Um, but it was the, so 22, 23, 25-year-old Morgan um, was very naive. I'm still very naive. I think naivety isn't always a bad thing. Um, there's, there's a certain kind of innocence that allows people to make art, I think. Because um, if you take everything too seriously, I don't know how you get out of bed in the morning. But I, I've i always struggled with sort of... Uh, I've always been really shy. 
um, sort of lack of confidence in my own stuff. Like I, I can get up and like give a presentation about something that I don't care about, no problem. But as soon as I have to like read something I wrote, it gets very hard. Um, I've always struggled with sort of what right do I have to tell stories and who am I to like write down anything that anybody would want to read? Who am I to ask you to give up hours of your day to spend with my thoughts? Like that's a very sort of incongruous thing with my personality, which is very sort of shy and, and receding. Um, so it's, I was always sort of of a mind that this, the, the lifestyle that Milton wanted, I think at that point I saw a sort of the definite allure to it, but I, it, always felt sort of unattainable. Um, and that's the lifestyle of like Leonard Cohen in his heyday. It's kind of Milton's dream. Um, I could never do that. I never felt confident enough to do that. I always knew deep down that was kind of a lie. So I don't know if I could articulate it very well then, but I, I knew it was kind of foolish then, I think. Sure, I, I can see that. Like it was, a, it's kind of important for the thread, maybe, of the narrative for your Milton character to never give up on sort of diluted dream. You know, like if, yeah. if he was too aware, or if at one point one of these things had broken him, then the story, I guess, would have kind of come to a halt. So, um, it, something that was interesting though, when, when you were talking about, you know, um being self-conscious about the focus being turned to you or taking up people's space or something. Um, the reading the book digitally, which I, I've never done that before. I've, I've never read a book mm. digitally before. And what was so magical and, and strange about the experience is it just, it literally took up no space. So as yeah. soon as I wanted to go do something else, I was doing that something else. There wasn't so much as a second of putting it down. I mean, well, sorry, there was literally the one second of putting it down, but no space yeah. I had to make room for on the bookshelf, no choices I had to make about whether or not a different book got bumped to make room for yours. It just existed in, in these ideas, and then it disappeared. And I think with books, there's always been... Huh. Um, kind of like a bit of a competition. Like if I'm looking at my shelf and I've purchased 10, I, I, and I used to buy books for the future. That was something that yep. made me feel not poor when you were describing in your book, him going <laughs> to the bookstore in Montreal and buying books. Um, that was me for sure. When I was at my poorest, I would go buy books to have books to look forward to reading because it was the one thing that made me feel like um, my consumption of art was still on my terms. And so yeah. I've always thought of books as a bit of a competition for, if I only have so much time, which ones will win and which ones will go un unread to the end of my days. And <laughs> yours didn't because of it being in this digital platform. And That's so, so interesting. Yeah. I have a really hard time getting to that point because I, I collect way too many books. The The him going to the bookstore was true <laughs> that's me we we just moved last fall and we have a room in our basement right now because we don't have any bookshelves set up at the house that is just books it's like it's supposed to be a spare bedroom or something but it's just all bags of books on the floor and most of them are mine and most of them have never been read but it's like oh i've heard this is a good book i should get it and read it someday i don't know when i'm ever going to read it and it's interesting hearing you talk about dirty birds too because we spent a lot of time or i did anyway sort of worrying about the object of the book itself so we did it a different size and a different shape because i wanted it to sort of be like a book that um for the people who haven't read the book uh there's the bookstore that milton goes to is run by these two old men and one of them steals books out of the library drop box overnight drop box um and they scrape the stamp the library stamps off the books and sell them um so i wanted it to look like a pulp novel so it's smaller in size so it makes it thicker and it i put illustrations and stuff in it so we spent a lot of time thinking about that stuff but then 
just hearing you talk about that now, it's this really fascinating thing where, it, you know, outside of the object, it becomes the ideas and those kind of take to the force. That's a really interesting notion. I like it. You're listening to Bridging the Social Distance, a show recorded here in Guelph at CFRU as a platform for sharing stories and perspectives during the global pandemic of COVID-19. This show is also being syndicated for CIOI in Hamilton, Ontario. Today I'm speaking with Morgan Murray, an author living in Cape Breton, who is on the verge of releasing his very first book, Dirty Birds. Yeah, and and it was interesting for me because the tactile act of reading is so tied up in it. Like I am way more likely to purchase books for the idea of reading them than uh, like I, I don't even like to stream music because the idea of what if I enjoy it and I don't own it actually goes through my mind and so I, yeah. I if I listen to even one song on a streaming platform if I enjoy it I'll go buy the album or I'll wait until I can buy the album before listening to more I've always it's been so important to me to have it if I'm going to have a really special experience with it and so um yeah it, it occurred to me how weird it would be to buy a physical copy of a book I already read knowing how many books I have that I've never read, but I think I still would need to. But the other thing that was so interesting is at first I was reading it in the Dropbox app because I'm a Luddite and I didn't know how to open it anywhere else. And so I actually couldn't see how many pages were remaining. So there was a point in your book, um, somewhere around the 200 and something page, where the way that it was accelerating, I actually thought it was possible that it was coming towards the end. And it, I actually got a little anxious because not enough had happened for me. I wanted to know so much more and I started to worry. And that was the moment I realized that without knowing how many pages were left, um, I had to completely just surrender to the narrative and not worry about how important this moment was because I know there's 300 more pages, so it can't possibly be that important. So yeah. that was another thing in the digital platform that made it wow. really unique. Because, yeah, I'm uh, terrible for being a page counter. Like, I'll do like, like, there's, okay, there's eight pages left in this chapter and there's 300 left in the book. And Yeah. So, yeah, just being completely bereft of the object and the page count would be a wild experience i can't imagine it was it was crazy because i i'm yeah it's like when you're watching a movie and um it used to be with vhs or something the same thing you put it on and you didn't actually know how much time was left so you might have a a little bit of a sense but you don't you're not counting but if you have something like netflix and you pause it and you see the remaining time um there's actually a thing that happens like well you can't die yet and that's a terrible kind of just reality check in the middle of a really gripping moment. Because with yours, yeah. I kind of read it. He could die any moment through almost the entire thing. <laughs> and and that was, um, I think that like was an important element <laughs> for someone like me that is also a compulsive page counter. I'm going to suggest we take the page numbers off. Well, I, I mean, I, I, think, I think everybody's going to have like a different thing about though like I think your description of making it the pulp from the bookstore definitely makes me want to own a hard copy and have it on my shelf because the aesthetic of that particular type of book is is undeniable like uh, uh that was the format I always tried to find like Kurt Vonnegut in and stuff yeah. because they'd have these glossy beautiful new really versions of it but there was something about that old that brown paper that would fall out over time and yeah yeah the like toxic glue my one of my favorite books is uh and i'm gonna like confess to being a horrible reader but um norman mailer wrote a book called of a fire on the moon which he was hired by some magazine at the time to write a to do like a journalistic account of uh, the Apollo 11 moon landing. And, but it was like 1969 and he was on all kinds of things and he's a madman anyways. Um, but he wrote this like really weird trippy book about the moon landing and like the astronauts were really boring. <laughs> They're just like very straight laced engineers. The whole, all of NASA was very straight laced engineers. And then it's like hippie shows up and he's like Aquarius, man. Uh, so it's a really weird book, but I've never finished it. 
I found it at a used bookstore for 25 cents in like the pulp version. The pages are falling out. The cover is like hanging on by a thread. It's the rattiest looking thing. And I carry that book around in my like backpack or my satchel or my suitcase or my pocket for like eight years, I swear. And I never, I've still never finished it because I'm scared to finish it because I don't want it to be over because it's every once in a while I'll like, it's in a bag somewhere, box somewhere now, but every once in a while I'll find it again and read like a chapter and be like, oh yes, that was good. And then I'll put it down and not read another word for like a year. Yeah. And it's just like this ratty book is just, I don't know what it is about that book. And maybe if I found that, I know, I probably would have never bought that book if it wasn't 25 cents or if it was a nicer version or something, but it was like basically nothing. So I picked it up and then, you know, it turned out to be this weird, wonderful thing anyway. Well, I, I actually relate to that very, very much. Uh, there's tons of books that I've kept from finishing even like even TV series and stuff where I went right up till the series finale and stopped because a little part of me gets to keep the mystery. I guess it, it, I can yes. pretend a continuing um, life. I, I do enjoy like in like uh, your story was linear in time, but because he moved between places, it, it just didn't feel as scary um, in, in terms of like I wasn't as scared of finishing it. Because I still felt like, uh, I don't know if you were a big Kurt Vonnegut fan. I saw your book compared to Kurt Vonnegut on um, the mm-hmm. back cover, I think. There is a, the one book that he keeps saying, and so it goes. And he yep. says that every time a character has left the book, and they're just never going to come back. But he realized <laughs> throughout the whole book that every single person was um, introduced to you as though they could be the most important character, like the exact same amount of detail about them was given. And in a way, yours was written in a way that, I don't know, it it just kind of felt like it would keep going. Um, Even before I knew how it would end or anything, there was, it, it did a good job of feeling like a piece of a life where you're maybe gonna still keep thinking about the other characters and how their life would continue regardless of what happened to your your first person and so I just I guess Mm -hmm. as a person who also doesn't finish reading a lot of the time (laughs) um I think you did a really good job with that I I had I was really worried getting towards the end about an end just because of my own weird neuroses (laughs) (laughs) and that was actually a tricky thing to write because I rewrote the ending multiple times because as awful as a lot of the male characters were, you get attached to some of them because they're also kind of endearing a little bit. So you can't, like, wipe them all out. Mm-hmm. So I, you had to kind of – I don't know if I got it right in the end, but it uh, took a little bit of nuancing to kind of figure out a way to wrap up the book so I could stop writing it, but also – have come to a satisfactory conclusion yeah well i don't want to give anything away but i did like the ending but i did wonder um if if as a person that has a hard time finishing reading a book if it was hard to finish writing it like i I just can't even imagine um how it feels to decide that you're definitely done yeah it's um if i lived in like a the white void (laughs) and time wasn't anything and I didn't have like a baby or anything, I'd probably just still be writing it because just the the characters and that sort of world, there's a lot more they could do and it'd still just be re- repetitive of what's in the book. But, you know, I, I feel like it's kept going. And after I finished, I was like, oh, I could write a sequel. <laughs> I don't think the world needs one, but, um, you know, that world now exists in my head and I, these characters are in it and they're still in there rattling around what are they going to do next so it was and and just coming to the end it was kind of anticlimactic because you know you you, i've heard people talk about when they write they like know the ending and and what's going to happen i knew what was going to happen with milton the main character but i didn't know how he was going to get there um and so by the time you get there you're like oh that's it okay well i guess (laughs) see you later milton yeah it's hard yeah it's just another one of those things that makes the quarantine release so interesting because uh, 
I was talking to someone the other day about how there's never really been sort of a movie or um, or a book or anything that I've read, at least, or that I'm aware of, that has placed a bunch of people living their lives separately all at the same time who have access to each other but not for real. So yeah. it it's like... I think the ability for us to imagine ourselves elsewhere is maybe like really, really, really possible right now, because why wouldn't you let your mind go there? Why wouldn't you imagine what it's like for every single person you love in their respective quarantined homes right now? Um, Whereas when I was distracted by the actual variety of life and traveling from point A to point B, I didn't spend a heck of a lot of time imagining what it was like to be somewhere else as someone else. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, 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 it's almost like um, like reading and, and TV shows, music and stuff, when there's you're sort of uh, consuming them, or for lack of a better word, amidst all this chaos of life, how it was pre-pandemic, um, it's just something you consume and you got to, you know, watch the show or whatever the, the, the thing is. Um, but now it's on, and at, while you're consuming, it's like less about the escapism and, and the like world creating, I guess, or, or something maybe. And I'm just like completely just hypothesizing but maybe now while we're all sort of confined to our quarters um that escapism element of stories and and art becomes so much more important maybe and becomes more like it was when we were kids because i remember reading books when we're when i was a kid and i'd get so sort of immersed in that world and with those characters and and so into it and it was much different experience reading books as a as a adult because it's much more sort of intellectual experience. And then it's a much more, you know, I got to get this chapter done so I can start dinner or I, you know, I'm just going to carry this book around in my backpack. For um, It becomes a different way of ingesting art and it becomes for different things. Um, and I feel like that maybe could be changing now that the, everybody's isolated and, bored or anxious or whatever their situation is. I don't know. I think that brings up a really good point. I think part of why I don't read as much now is also a weird guilt about how much pleasure I may get from an invented universe when I could be meaningfully participating in my own. And that as a kid, Mm -hmm. I didn't have guilt around that. That was like one of the biggest elements of being a kid. And right now, I guess maybe the permission exists again to find the relief and the imaginary travel wherever you can. So uh, on the other side of that, and this is more of a question for you, I guess, because you've been talking to a lot of, you know, creative people the last few weeks um, with this show is, do you find for yourself or for other people you talk to that creating that stuff, this state of the world is a lot more difficult because I haven't, had to we've been making minor edits and we bought a farm so i've been i'm building a greenhouse and i have a baby that i'm taking care of uh, for most of the days and stuff so i've i'm busy right now as busy as i've ever been but just the thought of writing fiction at this point uh just seems so frivolous (laughs) yeah but the uh like reading it seems like a different experience but the the creating stuff just seems a little bit weird now i don't know yeah, um, I agree with that. That's how I feel. Like, um, I feel creative. I feel super inspired to be talking to people in so many different mediums and so many different like places in their life, physically and and spatially, and all of the things. Um, so, I think I'm much more intrigued by listening and having conversations and capturing sort of an archive or a print of this time as it is than I am about making up a new one. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think going to a different place in a book was beautiful and felt perfect, but I don't feel like making up a different story. Um, But it is interesting because I'm on the, you know, finishing stages of an album, and I have to decide if I want to release something that I wrote before 
during this time. And, and yeah, I don't know. It, 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 there's like just kind of layers and layers. I haven't, it's not, so I I haven't not felt inspired. I've heard that from a lot of people that they haven't felt inspired. And that's not how I would describe it because I think that would be untrue. I think I'm almost more inspired than I have been in years. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but maybe not in a way that makes me want to go back and just tell it all by myself. Yeah. Maybe that's the, the difference. Whereas songwriting typically is, is a little bit of a moment alone with my thoughts to share a little glimpse of why I thought that was important. And right now, because we're already alone, it's more important to me that, that what I'm doing is together in, in a way that I can make that happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're doing the show, which is amazing and you're doing a lot of it. So you're, you're, you're working. Mm-hmm. It's just really interesting work. I just feel like I'm sitting in this chair in in my room with the same view, but I'm just brought to Cape Breton or Italy or Spain <laughs> or Calgary yesterday. Um, speaking of which, I would love to know what, what Cape Breton is like, because it already seems like a sort of isolated space with a lot of room. So I don't know if you feel it the same way there, or maybe you feel it more. Um, well, today it's snowing, so today's dumb. <laughs> uh, but the last few days, the last probably month, it's been okay. Spring's been happening. Um, but yeah, my wife and I bought a farm uh, in October. We moved. So we have 80 acres uh, and a beautiful farmhouse and a couple barns and stuff and we have a little baby girl she's 11 and a half months now and so i've been on and i've been on mat leave because my wife she's a author illustrator extraordinaire but she's self-employed and doesn't get mat leave so i've been i took the whole year parental leave um so we've been pretty isolated already i've been wearing sweatpants for a year anyways (laughs) um so and we live in in rural middle of nowhere cape breton near mabu uh, which is four hours from Halifax, two hours from Sydney. It's not on the way to anywhere. <laughs> You've got to make a special trip. So we're very isolated, and our day-to-day life hasn't changed. Katie's in the dining room working on her graphic novel right now, like she's been for the last two years. Um, so, like, the outside world hasn't really come down on us, I think. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like living in a city. And we were living in a really small fishing village before this, but I can't even imagine what it would be like living there throughout this where you have much less space because we can still get out, out and walk around. And, you know, the nearest neighbor, we're, we have close neighbors, but they're all American uh, seasonal residents and none of them are here right now. So our closest permanent neighbor is like a mile away. So we can walk for a long time without seeing anyone or we can walk around in the woods at our house. And so we've got this really great space to live in. We're so lucky to be here. And I'm so glad that if this was to happen, that it did while we're here. And so the the thought of like pandemic in Toronto or New York or a big city where everybody's really confined and close together is a little bit more abstract. But the uh, shooting there last week in Nova Scotia which started in a rural community, not unlike the one we live near, that was mind boggling and really hard to comprehend. And then, you know, once a week we go into the nearest big town, which is 3000 people where there's a, uh, like a superstore to get groceries and everybody's on edge and usually a really friendly community. Everybody's sort of looking suspiciously at one another and wearing masks and stuff. So just you go from this little storybook isolation world back to the real world, it, it's quite jarring. So we're very lucky, but it's also it's a strange time. And even as isolated as we are, you feel it. And you know we haven't seen anyone in this really tight knit community. And my wife grew up here, so she knows everybody. Um, and usually, if you go to the grocery store or the gas station or just go to get the mail, it takes an hour because you have to have three 20 minute conversations with people but now you don't see anybody so it's quite a change and it's you know we're like i said we're very lucky and and i feel like we're some of the more fortunate people through this situation but just the state of the world is uh something else yeah yeah that's interesting i 
thank you for sharing what it's like because it is just so um, incredible how different it is from person to person while you yeah. think there'd be a lot more similarities there's a lot of common ground and feelings but um still like the actual day-to-day life is so different um one thing i've been asking people that is like a nice sort of silver lining angle uh towards the end of our conversation since we're running up close to an hour i like to ask people if there's something that they have observed during this time that they would love to carry over to like a new normal so even if we got to go back to a more regular you know air quotes day-to-day life we get to gather again but you know recognizing that things don't have to go back to exactly the way they were what is something you've enjoyed that has come out of this that you would like to see continued um there's two things one small thing one big thing the one small thing is sort of the well we're all apart and you can feel the apartness there's also more togetherness it feels like where there's, you know, here there, there's a number of Facebook groups for different sort of areas where people say, I'm going to this town to Canadian Tire. Does anybody need anything? And just looking out for our neighbors. Um, and that's something that happens a lot anyways, but it's become much more pronounced and sort of up front now, I think, um, where, you know, it's impossible to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's been happening in a lot of places and all there's probably a lot of people who sort of are becoming aware of their more immediate surroundings more now than ever. And I think that's really important to as much as we live virtually and across continents and stuff. And, you know, I still FaceTime with my parents so they can, you know, read stories with me and Mary at bedtime and they're in Alberta. Um, I think it's good to also be grounded in the communities and, and places you are. So I think that is important. And I hope, you know, that continues to, to build. And one of the big things is I really hope that we can remember after this is all over that the state of the world that we've been told is immutable and unchanging and unfair, but tough. That's how it is for the last 40, 50 60, 100, 200, 500 years, I don't know, is completely nonsense because we've seen time doesn't matter, um, work doesn't matter, the economy is all smoke and mirrors, all of these, like, the neoliberal stuff that we've been told we need to, that governments can't take care of people, that um, it's not just, you know, a bunch of smoke and mirrors and a machine that prints money. It's something else that we need billionaires and we need big companies to take care of us and stuff because the billionaires and the big companies have done absolutely nothing. It's been always the government that's been looking after it. And I know there's people that are uneasy with that and the government hasn't been great in a lot of ways, but it showed that if we want to take care of communities and if we want to take care of everyone the best way to do that is together and the best means we have to do that is through some form of government and this is getting very sort of political poli sci but just the idea that you know what universal income might not be such a bad idea it, it just grinds my gears that they keep change they have the canadian economic uh, recovery benefit or whatever it's called the yeah, uh, like CERB. That's for people, CERB mm-hmm. or CURB or whatever it is. Um, and they they just changed the rules again like yesterday to let more people in it and more people in it. And then they had to do one for students and one for business. It's like just make it for everybody. <laughs> let everybody have this money because everybody's going through something. And if they're not, they don't need it. That's fine, whatever. You're spending more money trying to figure out how to – get it to certain people and keep it from other people and all this stuff. But just the possibility that we can change how, you know, the world works, that we don't need to sell our souls. We don't need to, you know, bow down at the altar of Bill Gates and Bezos and all these guys that, you know what, we can do it together. We can do it in a meaningful way. And if we had better governments when this was going on, it would be even better. And so maybe we should look into that seriously once this is over, that maybe we can, you know, stop electing 
business people and rich spoiled brats and start electing people who care about their communities and things like that. So that's my big idea. Um, care about your neighbors, but also care about, you know, how we work together in the grand scheme of things too. So hopefully that will continue. That's awesome. I fully agree. I, it really resonates. So thanks for that. Um, in this Great. last little bit of time, if folks want to keep in touch and figure out when your book is going to come out, whether digitally or in the physical form, what's the best way to keep on top of, uh, of you as a writer and or the book Dirty Birds? Uh, short of an invite to a Zoom meeting with my publisher next week. <laughs> I have a website, uh, morganmurray.ca, and there's uh, the homepage there is just basically a synopsis of the book and a list of places where you can pre-order it, um, including I made a list of all the indie bookstores in Canada that have it to pre-order and are doing delivery during the pandemic time because um, I did have a lot of time on my hands for that. Uh, so order from a local bookshop if you can. Um, but yeah, it'd be great. People can go there, find out where they can get it, find out more about it. They can find out a little bit more about me. And I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all of that stuff too. And they can find links there as well. And if we do get a date figured out and I do start doing um, like readings or something, that'll be up in that world too so morganmurray.ca that's perfect well thank you so much um this was really wonderful i am really glad i got to read the book first uh a little sad that it's over but in all the best possible <laughs> ways so thank you so much for sharing that with me too well thank you so much for reading it and thanks so much for the conversation it was uh, fantastic yeah well um hang in there and oh is there anything else you want to add i guess i should throw that in there but... no just uh, everybody hang in there we're getting through it and uh it has i just want to say that it has been very heartening to see and the thing that gives me hope that maybe we can change things up is that uh we've shut down the world to protect sort of the most vulnerable among us and that's pretty remarkable um so keep it up people awesome well thank you so much morgan let's uh talk again absolutely thank you so once again, that was Morgan Murray, whose debut novel, Dirty Birds, is tentatively set to be released on June 29th. I reached him today at his home in Cape Breton. That brings us to the end of this episode of Bridging the Social Distance, a show produced at CFRU in Guelph and syndicated for CIOI in Hamilton, Ontario, that aims to create a platform for us sharing what we are doing to get through this time together in the wake of COVID-19. You're listening to CFRU 93.3 FM. COVID-19 is a serious public health threat. All Canadians must act now to reduce the spread. Protect yourself and others, especially those with medical conditions and older adults. Wash your hands often. Avoid touching your face. Cough or sneeze into your arm and stay home as much as possible. Now is the time to act, and we must act together. A message from the Government of Canada. Tune in to Planet Groove for Funky Fridays on CFRU from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. with your funky, funky blues doctor for a stir-fry of funk, rock, blues, metal, and more. That's 10 a.m. every Friday on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. Ed Video is Guelph's hub for creation of video art, film, and documentaries. Get started in production or advance your existing skills. Find creative challenges and develop a network of collaborators through our year-round series of workshops and educational programs. We offer hands-on training with video production technology, as well as opportunities to learn from staff and industry professionals. Apply your skills with access to professional quality equipment in an inclusive, fun environment. Learn, create, and display your work through Ed Video. Become a member by visiting our partially accessible location at 404 York Road or visit edvideo.org. As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes.
on today's episode of Android's Dungeon. Harry Hall. Jack Runge. The Essentials. Nothing but the best. In the time it took 